Musically Speaking, a brand new show from KVCR on the campus of San Bernardino Valley College. Musically Speaking is hosted by me, Margaret Worsley. Today we'll talk to Diane Mitchell, Artistic Director at the Hemet Concert Association. Diane will tell us about their plans for their new season, once again in front of a live audience. And we'll find out about their outreach in the community, including scholarship opportunities for young people. But first, Maestro Anthony Parnther. Anthony Parnther is director and conductor of the San Bernardino Symphony Orchestra and the Southeast Symphony and Chorus in Los Angeles. He is also a studio conductor for the Hollywood Studio Symphony and has led recording sessions for projects including Star Wars, The Mandalorian, Tenet, Little, American Dad, The Hunt, Fargo, Ghostbusters Afterlife, Encanto, Star Wars Book of Boba Fett, and Ice Age, Adventures of the Buck Wild. He is also an accomplished bassoonist and has recorded bassoon, contrabassoon, and other wind instruments for prominent Hollywood composers, such as John Williams, Terrence Blanchard, Danny Elfman, Michael Giacchino, Alan Silvestri, and Hans Zimmer, amongst others. Mr. Parnther's live orchestral concert appearances for League of Legends has taken him to Barcelona, Beijing, Seoul, and Los Angeles, and are among the most widely viewed symphonic concerts in the world. With a viewership that outpaces the World Series at approximately 100 million live streams for each League of Legends final opening ceremony concert. His versatility is expansive, having recorded or performed live with the likes of Beyonce, Jennifer Hudson, Rihanna, Jackie Ivanko, Kanye West, Snoop Dogg, Madonna, Kid Cudi, Elton John, Michael Bolton, Pete Townsend, Billy Idol, Maynard Ferguson, Wynton Marsalis, Stevie Wonder, and the list goes on. Maestro Parnther, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us today. Oh, I'm so delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. What are you doing now? What are we interrupting your life from? Where are you going tomorrow, next week, and next month? Well, we just wrapped up sessions for Encanto, which is, I believe, Disney's 60th animated feature with a score by Jermaine Franco and Lin-Manuel Miranda. And right now I'm studying scores for two different concerts that I'm giving next week. I'm conducting the L.A. Philharmonic and the Philadelphia Orchestra next week. The L.A. Philharmonic, I'm really excited about this because I'm appearing with an artist named Sid, but I'm also getting the opportunity to conduct on the first half of the program some works by Duke Ellington, Carlos Simon, and Jesse Montgomery, who just became the composer-in-residence for the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Then after that, I'm going to catch a plane out to Philadelphia where I'm conducting the East Coast premiere of Black Panther live to picture with a live orchestra playing the score. And that is the movie that Ludwig Göransson got the Oscar for just a few years ago. So that's a pretty exciting and hectic week. That's exciting. That is kind of insane and just incredible. I cannot believe how much you're doing and who you're doing it with. What's it like making music with some of the world's greatest musicians, either in the studio or on the stage? Are you intimidated by any of them? No, I just feel like it's a very important set of responsibilities from project to project. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm stressed out. I really don't have time to be stressed out. (laughs) You just want to make sure that the product is as good as possible at all times. So I just, you know, try to hold myself and everybody in the room to as high a standard as I possibly can and keep it moving, you know. But no, no, I don't necessarily feel stressed out or intimidated. I want to have a good time. Yeah, no, that's great. I'm just thinking back. I remember when we performed with the San Bernardino Symphony before the pandemic. I believe it was Lynn Harrell's 
last public performance before he passed away. You disclosed part of that preparation process with him. It very well was his last collaboration with another musician and conductor. What was that like, and how important are these conversations with those legends that we admire? Yeah, one thing that some people might not know about me is that I am originally a cellist. By the time I got to undergrad, I had to choose between cello and bassoon, and bassoon was slightly less competitive, and I got a few dollars more scholarship money, so I jumped the ship over to the bassoon. But growing up, Lynn Harrell was one of my early cello heroes. He, Yo-Yo Ma, and a number of others. I remember the first time I ever heard him perform Shlomo, which is a famous cello solo, and he recorded it with the Amsterdam Concertgebouw Orchestra with Bernard Heitink, and that recording is unsurpassed. So having the opportunity to get to work with Lynn Harrell and bring him to San Bernardino and do Shlomo, that same very work that I've admired pretty much my entire musical career, my whole musical life, was a real turning point for me. But in addition to, you know, insights about the music, I was just interested in a little bit of gossip. (laughs) Because, you know, Lynn Harrell started his career off at the age of 18 as the principal cellist of the Cleveland Orchestra Mm. under the baton of George Zell, who is is one of my favorite conductors. So I had a lot of questions about what George Sell was like, and it was very interesting to get some of his insight. You know, funny story, we were talking about Shlomo, and Lynn was telling me about the time that he performed Shlomo at Ravinia with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Mm. And they had some young guest conductor, and he was telling me a really funny story. The principal trumpet player of the Chicago Symphony back in those days was a very well-known, highly regarded trumpet player by the name of Bud Herseth. And Bud Herseth raises his hand in the middle of the rehearsal, and he says, in his sort of nasal voice, he says, Maestro, the orchestra is accustomed to performing this section in three as opposed to two. <laughs> <laughs> And this young conductor who's like 20-something from Europe somewhere that they've brought in to do this was like, oh, no, 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 it'll be very successful the way I'm conducting it. And But Hertha says, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And according to Lynn Harrell, the concert fell apart that evening. (gasps) (laughs) No. <laughs> because the conductor did not listen to Bud Herseth, you know. And as you know, Shlomo is a really tough piece. And so anyways, I conducted it the way that Bud Herseth said to conduct it. <laughs> yeah, you got to listen to the Bud. <laughs> got to listen to the Bud. <laughs> I'm chatting today with Anthony Parnther, bassoonist and conductor of the San Bernardino Symphony. Anthony, you have accomplished so much professionally and have done so much and have seen so much. But... You come from humble beginnings. I know you're originally from Virginia. You're the son of immigrant parents. Your mom's from Samoa, your dad from Jamaica. Can you connect for us some of what being first-generation American meant to your parents and means to you today? Yeah, my dad was born in 1929 in Kingston, Jamaica, and at the age of 19, right before he turned 20 years old, he came to America in 1949 and ended up fighting in the Korean War. And my mom came to this country in 1960 from Samoa. So they both had pretty lofty goals for me. You know, I think they wanted me to be something along the lines of a doctor or a lawyer or a business person. Imagine their delight when I said, I want to play the bassoon for a living. (laughs) 
<laughs> Could you imagine the tear that trickled down my father's face, you know, who came to this country, fought in Korea, and wanted his son to do something successful, and here he is wanting to play the bassoon. But, you know, I knew that I was not cut out for some of these other things, but I knew that I had a passion and a spark for music, and that's what it was going to be. But I think that my parents worked so hard and I think a lot of the drive and fire that perhaps I have for the bassoon and for music in general is definitely inspired by my parents' path to come to America and be productive citizens. That is really inspiring. I know that when you were younger, your dad did suddenly pass away, which means you were essentially raised then by a single mom. And obviously there were great sacrifices there for both of you. Can I ask about some of the tougher parts of your childhood and how that fostered your drive and inquisitiveness and perhaps even the sense of humor that you have now? Yeah, we, you know, especially in my high school years, there was quite a lot of tragedy that sort of befell my family. My mother was ill with cancer by the time I was a junior in high school, and we had just survived a house fire. And my mother, you know, who was quite ill with something, we weren't exactly sure what it was with, Mm. but she had lost her job, we had lost our home, you know, so this was a period of great loss. But she had bought me a relatively inexpensive but feasible working bassoon, the Schreiber bassoon. And I just knew that with all of the sacrifices that she had made, you know, she had to make the tough decision to either make the payments on my bassoon or make the payments on our electricity. And there were times where I practiced my bassoon in the dead of winter in the dark, you know, determined that I was going to do something great with my career to pay back this woman for all the sacrifices she made for me. So I had no choice but to really move forward and try to do something of significance with my life and career since I'd already made the decision to do the bassoon of all things. So I feel like I'm still paying that debt back. Wow, that is incredible. Your drive is admirable on every level. Is there anything you can say about kind of going rogue from social or parental norms to pursue one's passion, music or otherwise? Well, I'm glad that I did it. I think they finally saw that I was very serious about pursuing this and that I was good at it. And it was something that brought me happiness. But I do think that it's important to pursue the things that we feel that we love, even if it means that we fail at it and fall on our face. And let me tell you, in the music industry, I fall on my face more times than I can count. But I've learned a lot of lessons from each of those falls. And I couldn't imagine doing anything else. Wow, that is really kind of nice to hear that even someone like you fails occasionally. We talk about that, especially at the college, you know, with our students and how important failure is and can be. And to know that even people who are incredibly successful, who are doing wonderful and amazing things, you're admitting that you still flub up occasionally. That's also very inspiring. Absolutely. You know, each failure, each mistake is an opportunity to learn and grow and be better tomorrow. I'd like to take a moment just to reintroduce our guest. I'm speaking today with Anthony Parther, bassoonist and conductor of the San Bernardino Symphony. Anthony, let's talk about the San Bernardino Symphony, what you've been doing masterfully coordinating through the pandemic with our virtual performances, and also what's coming up. First of all, the virtual concerts you've directed are just incredible. Everyone's saying so. They're stunning. These concerts are so well produced. Have you just been inspired by your Hollywood colleagues and their movie making? Or how did you visualize and hit the ground running so quickly with these virtual concert concepts? There's a number of things that I 
feel I should mention. The first is, is that leading into the pandemic, San Bernardino Symphony was selling out the concert hall, concert to concert. Mm-hmm. So we felt a great sense of momentum leading into COVID. Of course, COVID cut us off in the middle of a concert. We had already rehearsed twice. And I was so proud of our organization because we went ahead and paid all of our musicians for the entire concert, even for one that they didn't perform. And I was even prouder when we made the decision to foster on through the pandemic and keep our musicians working. You know, an important thing to note is that many of our musicians who are union professionals depend on the various union orchestras that they perform in in order to qualify for healthcare. And I was just reading on social media which I spend significantly less time on these days. I think a lot of us feel that way. Mm-hmm. But I was seeing a lot of comments that you know musicians were afraid of how they were going to collect enough union hours to qualify for health care and things along those lines. And taking the time to watch the larger orchestras and see how they were responding, and then also to look at the other orchestras in our region that are about our size and our budget size. It was interesting to kind of watch each organization's response. Many orchestras sadly did nothing during the pandemic. And the few orchestras that did do something, they only employed some of their principal musicians. You know, you'd see three or four people, a quartet, a trio. And we decided to go a different route. We decided to try to hire and keep as many of our musicians working as possible. Now, this became incredibly complex because what that meant is that, you know, our first concert, we had to record our strings on one day. We had to record our woodwinds on a different day, and we had to record our brass on a different day. We actually recorded singers, we recorded dancers, so it became a very intricate jigsaw puzzle as for how to perform literature that calls for full orchestra, but record the orchestra separately on different days. So that was quite a technological and organizing feat in order to accomplish that each time. But it's something that I think that we're all the better for as musicians and as an organization. And we have these videos that will live on forever that are very high quality and something that our organization and our region can be proud of. Absolutely. I'm so proud of them. I'm proud to have been a part of them. And they're just beautiful. You're listening to Musically Speaking on 91.9 KBCR. My name is Margaret Worsley, and I'm Associate Professor of Music at San Bernardino Valley College, talking today with Anthony Parnther, conductor, bassoonist, and classical music influencer. We'll be right back.
You're listening to Musically Speaking on 91.9 KVCR. I'm Margaret Worsley, and I'm talking today with Anthony Parenther, bassoonist and conductor of the San Bernardino Symphony. So we've got our first in-person performance planned for October, God willing, if the creek don't rise. Um, Would you mind giving our listeners some tasty snippets of what they'll be experiencing? Yeah, just like so many other organizations, this is our first time back in the hall in, I believe, over a year and a half. So it'd be March the 11th of 2020. So we're coming in October the 23rd of 2021. So we've been outside of the California theater for a long time. So we have entitled this concert Home because this is a homecoming. What we had tried to do was replace concerts that we had promised in the season that we did not complete. And this concert landed on a really cool concert, but it was a concert that only featured seven musicians. And I wanted to find a way to use our entire orchestra, not just seven musicians. So the board and I decided to bring back the full orchestra. And this is a tribute to America and the different facets of American music. So we're performing a new arrangement of America the Beautiful that one of the musicians who performs with us frequently, an incredible trumpet player by the name of Robert Shear, he has arranged a new version of America the Beautiful for choir and orchestra that we're going to premiere. It's the first time it's been performed live. And then for the first half of the program, I am doing the work of a composer that we're all familiar with and a very familiar work. And he is not an American. It's the only non-American composition that we're performing. But it's a composition that reflects the music of African Americans and Native Americans. It's the New World Symphony by Antonin Dvorak. Of course. And we're going to perform the second movement and the fourth movement. And in between those two movements, I'm actually going to turn around to the audience and sing. The second movement, which is the adagio, it starts off with a very famous English horn solo, was actually converted into a spiritual called Going Home. A lot of people feel that the spiritual is what inspired the symphony, but it was actually the opposite. It was a symphony that inspired a spiritual. So I will actually turn around and sing Going Home so that people can see the comparison between the original and the spiritual that resulted. The second half of the concert I'm super excited about, we're going to tributize different American musical forms. So we're going to open up with a tribute to jazz where we're performing the music of Duke Ellington. We are premiering a brand new work by a composer by the name of Shonda Dancy, and it is a tribute to those that we've lost during the pandemic. And I'm very excited for people to hear this new work, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. And then we're going to do a little tribute to Broadway. And this is the music of George Gershwin, Summertime from Porgy and Bess, which is both known as an opera and as a Broadway work. Um, We're going to tributize the golden age of Hollywood uh, with the original orchestrations to Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And we're bringing in a wonderful young soloist to sing that who is around the same age that Julie Garland was when she recorded this back in 1939 on the original Wizard of Oz uh, film. And then we're going to do a tribute to American cartoon music, the music of Scott Bradley, the virtuosic music that he wrote for Tom and Jerry. (laughs) And even though that work is only six minutes, we'll probably be spending most of our rehearsal time trying to accomplish it because it is incredibly difficult uh, for every single member of the orchestra. So it's, it's a really exciting concert. We're going to cap off the concert with uh, Make Our Garden Grow which is from Candide, uh, another work by American composer and conductor Leonard Bernstein. And that work is a tribute 
to the future of our community. Oh, that is so profound and beautiful. I cannot wait to play this music with you, and I cannot wait to hear you sing. You have an incredible voice, and that's just going to be such a treat for the audience. You're listening to Musically Speaking on 91.9 KVCR. I'm Margaret Worsley, and I'm talking today with Anthony Parnther, bassoonist and conductor of the San Bernardino Symphony. Um, as a Obviously, as a member, I am personally biased towards the San Bernardino Symphony. However, I'm a great admirer of the Southeast Symphony, which you also conduct. Would you mind telling us just a little bit about this organization, how it started, and the significance of that ensemble today? Yes, the Southeast Symphony was founded in 1948 by a music teacher by the name of Mabel Massengill Gunn. And this is a black woman back in the 1940s. And this is, of course, during an era in American history, an unfortunate era where, uh, you know, blacks were precluded from playing in symphony orchestras. So Mabel's idea was that she would start a symphony orchestra for black people to perform in so that they would have the opportunity to perform classical music. So the, you know, the organization back in 2018 celebrated 70 years. Uh, So it's nearly 75 years old. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the significance, especially over the last, I guess, 12 or 13 years that I've been the music director is that we've been a platform for black composers to have their works played. There was an article that was written recently that said in the largest 22 concert halls in America that less than 0.2% of the music being performed was by women composers. Mm. Could you imagine that? And so my question is that of that 0.2% of women composers that are being performed, how many of those women were black women? So the significance of some of the things that we've accomplished with the Southeast Symphony is that we have premiered 56 compositions by black female composers. Wow. Um, so we're very, we're very, very proud of that. Um, but it's been an opportunity for us to, uh, and the orchestra is very diverse today. Um, while the orchestra could be completely black, and we have been in the past, uh, the orchestra is incredibly diverse. We purposefully have invited members of the Latino community and the Asian community and the Middle Eastern community and every possible community and you know which we have the the luxury of doing in Los Angeles because it's such a diverse city I wanted to have an orchestra that reflected the diversity of the city in which it resides so the Southeast Symphony is probably the most culturally diverse orchestra that I am aware of and it's a it's a beautiful mixture of musicians who are avocational musicians and musicians who play for a living and there's something very special about that uh, because a lot of musicians show up an hour early and you have to shoo people out at midnight because it's still it's such a family hang and I, <laughs> and I absolutely love that about the Southeast Symphony. That is just incredible. The Southeast Symphony is just a, a, a force to to experience live as an audience member. I love the venue you usually perform in and I hope that if some of our listeners out in the Inland Empire can make their way out to Los Angeles. It's absolutely worth the trip. You're listening to Musically Speaking on 91.9 KVCR. My name is Margaret Worsley, and I'm Associate Professor of Music at San Bernardino Valley College, talking today with Anthony Parnther. Anthony Parnther is Director and Conductor of the San Bernardino Symphony Orchestra and the Southeast Symphony and Chorus in Los Angeles. Um, Anthony, do you mind if we take a moment to go through a few rapid-fire questions? Um, maybe Absolutely. Okay, great. Um, and you can answer these with a word or two. Uh, you are clearly a lifelong learner. 
What are you learning right now, whether that's a new piece of music, an instrument or technique, a foreign language? What are you learning these days? I'm learning German on Duolingo. <laughs> ah, sehr gut. <laughs> <laughs> um, who inspires you, musician or non? You know, one of my biggest uh, musical inspirations, probably still to this day, is my middle school band director, Mr. David Webb. And I try to tell him that he's been the the most important guiding figure in my musical career, and he does not believe me. <laughs> um, but literally, I would not be here were it not for David Webb. Oh, that's so special. Uh, who do you listen to when you're driving? I listen to the comedy stations on Sirius. <laughs> we have not talked about this, but you, uh, you confided in me once, so now I don't know if you'll ever trust me again, and I believe beverages were involved, but you mentioned that you were almost on the precipice of a comedy career. Is that right? I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> okay, we'll move on. For, for Yeah, no, back back in the day, I, did, I dabbled in stand-up comedy. <laughs> And if you're in one of my rehearsals, you witness some of it. <laughs> Indeed, it's a blast. Um, for our friends who don't necessarily listen to or watch a lot of classical music but are interested in getting into it, where would be a good place to start? I'd say film music. Yeah. I'd say that, uh, you know, John Williams, for instance. Uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that John Williams has penned for the screen uh, is as difficult as a Strauss t- tone poem. Mm. It's as difficult as a Strauss tone poem, and it's written very much in the same, you know, sort of pocket, same pocket of sounds and same instrumentation, but it's very relatable music. It's, there are melodies that you can remember instantly, and uh, harmonies and textures that make you feel something immediately. So I, I love to start with film music, and then from there, you know, let's move you over to a little Strauss. Let's move you over to a little Stravinsky. Let's move you over to a little Beethoven. Wow, diving into the deep end. I love it. Um, what's your favorite thing to cook? Soul food. Oh, okay. You want to give us just a couple of um, specifics on that? You know, uh, the neighborhood that I grew up in, uh, in Norfolk, Virginia, across the street uh, is the woman who became my godmother, oh. a woman named Laura Tilden. She was the, now Now here is an old term for you. She was the professor of home economics, <laughs> a term that we do not use anymore. The professor of home economics and nutrition at Norfolk State University, which is a historically black college and university in Norfolk, Virginia. But she is the woman who taught me how to make traditional, you know, sort of Southern soul food. Um, so we're, you know, uh, this is not food that you should eat every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've had, your... as she would tell you, as a professor of nutrition, <laughs> I've had your cornbread and everything else since then has been just terrible. So thanks for that. <laughs> I've ruined you forever. <laughs> All right. And finally, do you have a favorite uh, rock band or hip hop group? You know, one of my favorite hip-hop groups, uh, definitely back in the 90s, was Wu-Tang Clan. Mm -hmm. And it was a full circle moment to get to work with RZA and Wu-Tang Clan a few years ago at Capitol Records. Uh, RZA was working on uh, on some music that he had composed for Chipotle. (laughs) You can actually look this up on the internet. You can go to YouTube and look uh, for Anthony Parnther conducts RZA, R-Z-A is how that's spelled. Um, but it was a full circle moment to get to work with, with you know, 
the leader of Wu-Tang Clan, but in a more conventional orchestral setting. You know, he had written music for an orchestra to perform. Uh, you know, and it was an interesting thing because we, what he had done is he had written a theme for sour cream and a theme for rice and a different theme for various parts of the ingredients that would make a chipotle burrito. Um, but the thing was is that if they were all performed at the same time, it turns into an incredible work. But it was, it was, it was designed so that when you went to the menu and you pressed on, you know, uh, on this particular type of meat, then, a, a, you know, then this section of the orchestra would perform like a riff. But if you kept selecting items, it would turn into a complete musical idea. It was, it was really fascinating. So that sounds like say, a burrito tone poem. <laughs> it basically was. It basically was. I don't think that that's still an option on the menu, but it was very fascinating to work on. That is so cool. Anthony Parther, it has been an honor and a delight talking with you today. Thanks for taking the time, and I hope we can do this again soon. Oh, it would be my honor and pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, and I hope to see everybody October the 23rd as we take our orchestra back into the California theater for our show called Home. Anthony Parther is bassoonist and conductor of the San Bernardino Symphony. You'll find links to websites and other information you've heard in this interview on our program page, kvcrnews.org forward slash musically speaking. We have to take a break, but when we come back, we'll speak with Diane Mitchell from the Hemet Concert Association. I'm Margaret Worsley. You're listening to Musically Speaking. We'll be right back. Listening to Musically Speaking on 91.9 KVCR, I'm Margaret Worsley, talking today with Diane Mitchell, Artistic Director of the Hemet Concert Association. We're chatting today about how this Inland Empire organization supports artists. Hello, and thank you for being here, Diane. Oh, thank you for inviting me to share my passion. I'd like to start with who you are and maybe how you became involved with the Hemet Concert Association. Can you give us a little bit of um, your background? Absolutely. Um, I grew up in Orange County in Fullerton back when it was mostly Orange Groves. And really the only music was community concerts. And so I attended my first community concerts as a child there. Then when I went to school in Los Angeles, I had lots of things available to me, and I studied music and opera. I thought I was going to be an opera singer, but that didn't work out the way I thought it would. And I ended up being a music teacher, which I loved. And I did everything from preschool music programs to ending my career with 10 years as an Osher instructor at UC Riverside. We moved from L.A. to Hemet in the mid-1980s. And I discovered that they had a well-established concert association there, so I became involved. And as you may remember, in the early 2000s, Columbia Artists shed that nonprofit arm of their business that ran the community concerts since the 1920s, all of the United States and Canada. And so all of these little concert associations were suddenly on their own to deal with everything that a concert presenter has to deal with. 
And we were fortunate in the people that we had on the board and the resources that we had available. We were able to reinvent ourselves as a concert presenter, a very small organization, all volunteer. We've been making that work for the last 20 years. The history of the Hemet Concert Association seems so vast, especially as that original uh, cohort or consortium, I guess, with through Columbia. It seems mm-hmm. to take a special type of dedication and commitment for organizations to maintain this type of legacy. Do you feel that commitment from your fellow board members and audiences? I do. I think that's one of the most rewarding things is that my driving passion to, to bring these concerts to this community is supported and joined in by our board members, by our officers, and by our audiences and our patrons and everybody. It's been a wonderful experience. I've never felt like I'm the only one who cares about this. Yeah, no, that's just wonderful. And it seems like it's not just accessible to audiences and um, to those who want to get more deeply involved, but um, your website says, help us bring world-class performances without paying a world-class price. So it's that accessibility again. Can you tell us a little bit about your subscription series and what that includes? We have five concerts in each season except for last year and um, those go in October, then January, February, March, and April, always on Sunday afternoons. Our venue is a really beautiful 500-seat auditorium at one of the newer high schools in Hemet, Taquitz High School. So it's a very comfortable venue with lovely acoustics and all of the technical support. We're really glad to have that venue. And we try to bring a variety of artists who can provide a program that will invite people to enjoy it. There are many great artists, and I enjoy their concerts because I'm an insider. And so I can go to a guitar concert and hear all of this esoteric music where the musician never even meets your eye, much less speaks to you. But for most people, that's going to be a closed door. And they need to have a musician who will say, come, I love this. Here's why you're going to love it. And so I look for musicians who have that ability, and a lot of them do. And that makes a difference. It really does. And I think most people will like anything if it's presented in an accessible way. And you mentioned the word accessible. And so it's not just that accessibility, but it's the financial accessibility. We provide these five concerts on a subscription series of $70 for all five concerts. And for people who don't want to subscribe, they can buy tickets at the door for $30 apiece. But you do the math, the subscription's a good deal. Also, we make free tickets available to anybody aged 22 or under. They just have to come to the door and look like they're 22 or under, and we give them a ticket. We really want people to come enjoy the music. One thing we're very proud of is that we have a partnership with the school district to have our artists stay overnight on Sunday night and do a program for the school on Monday morning, an outreach program. And Dan Bolton at Hemet High has been our guy for that, and he has really brought a lot of kids every Monday morning after our concerts to hear wonderful outreach programs. That is really so, cool. I talk yeah. about, you know, open yeah. doors and accessibility. I, I love that yeah. student rate. I think that's phenomenal. And yeah. the, the outreach yeah. program, that's just really, really admirable. Um, and I would we love to uh, raise money for a music education fund. And we have, over the years, given away $25,000 to graduating seniors in our area who are headed for a music career. That is wonderful. It seems that the organization maintains a philosophy that's rooted not just in performance for entertainment, 
but there's significant giving, whether that's supporting artists um, through concert programs or these, these scholarship programs that you've mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we have young listeners who are interested in applying for scholarships, can they apply or audition somewhere? On, is that listed on your website? Yes, Music Education Fund is what it's called. It's all here on the website, all up to date with our current chair and how to reach her and find out how to, how to do that. It's a merit performance grant program. But we do keep in mind what the financial needs might be as well. But it's not something that you have to prove that you're poor. You have to prove that you're musical. Yes, that's wonderful. We have a very easy website name to remember, hemetconcerts.org. Hemetconcerts.org. Perfect. Yeah. Diane, can you touch upon how our listeners can get involved? I noticed an accompanist program on the website, but this was a yes. different type of accompanist, yeah. right? It's not, is it like a docent yeah. program? No, it's just volunteers. So these are volunteers. They do everything from ushering to helping stuff envelopes, you know, all of that sort of thing. They're all, of course, subscribers or patrons. So they're involved as listeners as well, but they want to help with the administration of the organization. Wonderful. That's great. We always are eager to have people join our board. We have a, a fantastic board right now, and I want to give a shout-out to our president, Tom Garnella, who is a retired um, school administrator. He really brings those skills to the organization of our association, and it has made a big difference to have his organizational skills pulling a lot of different things together in a very organized way. So, so it's a well-oiled machine. I'd like to take a moment just to reintroduce my guest, Diane Mitchell, Artistic Director of the Hemet Concert Association. Diane, let's talk about your upcoming concert season. You said you're anticipating five concerts to host for this Mm -hmm. series. When do those start? The first concert starts on October 24th. Um, This group is called the Hot Club of San Francisco, and their program is called Gypsyland. And they specialize in music in the style of French gypsy jazz, Musicians like Django Reinhardt and Stefan Grappelli. And so they're bringing their program to Southern California. And it's two guitars, violin and bass. And I think they're bringing a singer with them as well. That sounds like fascinating instrumentation. Have they performed as part of your series before? No, they're new to us. That leads us to the January concert by Sarah Davis Buchner, who's a fantastic pianist. And when she was here in 2008, everybody said, bring her back, bring her back. And this was my first opportunity to bring her back. And she's fantastic. She does everything from, oh, she just does everything. She has this wry sense of humor <laughs> that really comes through in the way she presents her program. And she, has, she does unusual music that m- many people who have never heard of, and you look at her program and you think, oh, no, nobody's going to get this. But she knows how to sell it. That is really cool. I'm, yeah. So we're talking and right then, now about Sarah Davis Buchner, a pianist, right? Right. I have to tell you, when she played for us in 2008, my husband and I went to pick her up at the Palm Springs Airport, and she said, may I please lie down on your back seat? I have a splitting headache. And we were quiet and started driving back towards Hemet, and we pulled off at Hadley's for date shakes. And we said, we think a date shake would make your headache feel better. And it did, and she loved it. And she's looking forward to having another one. So, oh, that's so awesome. It's such a Southern California thing, you know. It really is. And yeah. I, what, a, yeah. what a great plug to have concert yeah. goers um, pick up a date shake at Hadley's. That's just wonderful. 
I'm looking at some of the um, groups that you have coming up for the rest of your series, and it's so yeah. eclectic. What's your yeah. process for curating these artists? I have a lot of experience with what music is available to a, an organization like us with our budget. And I know a lot of musicians, and I participate in um, various organizations, like I just recently attended virtually the Western Arts Alliance Conference. There were a 100 artists showcased on that website. Got to know some new artists and people that I already knew about. So, for instance, this group in February, the Sakura Cello Quintet, they're, they're really, really doing well in Los Angeles area. And some of them are based at USC, and one of them is the cellist... Yoshika Masuda, and we first met him when he played with a young clarinetist for us a few years ago. So Yoshi is a return performer, but with a different group. Oh, that should be so fun. Yeah, I saw five cellos on the program, and I thought, oh, man, that's going to be interesting. I hope that they will perform their version of, of things from West Side Story. It is phenomenal. You can see that online. Oh, that's so great. I I noticed online on your website, and we were talking about this earlier, just how great it is. And I love that for each of these artists, you have a a musical clip of who will be performing. I think that's just wonderful to do. Well, it's not hard to do with modern technology now. I'm talking today with Diane Mitchell, Artistic Director of the Hemet Concert Association. Diane, we talked a little bit about the performance space for these shows. Can you Mm -hmm. tell us again, where is the venue and is there anything special about the space that you particularly appreciate? It's new, so it's not all decrepit and falling apart. It's the Tokwitz High School Performing Arts Center, or theater, Mm -hmm. and it's at 4425 Titan Trail in Hemet, And there's a phone number you can call for information, or you can get information on our website. But the phone number goes right to our president, and his number is 951-927-2449. That's our president, Tom Garnella. We want people to have easy access to whatever information they need or whatever questions they may have. Another thing I like about that theater is the seats are comfortable, the sight lines are excellent, and the acoustics are very, very good. Well, you can't ask for more than that. Good leg room and good acoustics. That's awesome. Right. Yeah, and I didn't finish telling you about our concerts. We still have two more March and April. The March concert is a young reed quintet, which consists of bassoon, flute, oboe, clarinet, and saxophone. So they're all reed instruments. Oh, interesting. And they're a young group. They were formed just just recently, and I, I met them through the Beverly Hills Auditions, which is an audition program sponsored by the city of Beverly Hills every spring. Um, And it's really like a cattle call. You get five minutes in front of the judges. You've got to trot out your best stuff in five minutes. This was set up to fill a concert series like at the L.A. County Art Museum. They had a Sunday night music program that's broadcast on KUSC. Mm -hmm. And that was every Sunday night. 50 nights. There are two Sundays they don't do, but so that's 50 concerts that this guy had to come up with every year. And he said, I want to audition them all at once. And so then he had the idea of inviting other people, and that became the Southern California Chamber Music Consortium. And so there are maybe 30 of us who, who go there once a year, and we get to hear all these artists from established professionals to kids just out of music school to young ensembles just getting started. And you know, we get to know them much better than you can from a website. You need to you need to see people in person. You really do. 
Yes, I agree. Well, I love that Sunday's yeah. live concert series. I, I recommend yeah. students go if they can get themselves out to Los Angeles. It's it's great. It's yeah. free. It's at LACMA. Yeah. That's a phenomenal yeah. series. So what a cool well, kind of system to see who's up and coming and where right. the local talent is. Our April concert is a trio that has played for us in the past. Their name is Trio Celeste. It's piano, violin, cello. And they are top-notch, very well-established group. They founded a program in Orange County called Chamber Music Orange County, and they have a pre-college program for teaching really, really talented young musicians, violinists, cellists, and pianists, both in solo and chamber music repertoire, ages 10 to 18. And what they're going to do for our program is bring some of their top kids to perform for us along with the trio. Wow. And I'm thrilled. I'm hoping that some of the kids can stay overnight to participate in the um, outreach the next day. We'll see what happens with that. It depends on school and parents and, you know. Gosh, I hope we'll it see. does. That would be such a treat yeah. to have young people yeah. playing for other young people. It's just exactly. it's yeah. so inspiring so. to experience that. What a wonderful, wonderful program. It's a real asset to the community. Is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know about the Hemet Concert Association? Yes. We are going ahead with our 21-22 season, fully aware that it could be canceled at any minute because of COVID. And um, we have to abide by whatever the school district decides regarding the use of its theater. And, of course, whatever municipal and county officials decide regarding uh, public gatherings. But any information about that, whether things are canceled or whether masks are required or vaccinations are required, anything like that, will be posted on our website so that you won't be surprised. Wonderful. And just to reiterate that website, it's hemetconcerts.org. Is that right? That's correct, yes. Wonderful. (laughs) Diane Mitchell, it's been an absolute treat chatting with you today. Thank you so much for sharing all of this wonderful information with us. I can't thank you enough for giving us a chance to share this with everybody. We'd love to see all those kids at your school come to our concerts. We will send them right your way. (laughs) Take care. Thank you again. Goodbye. Thanks for joining me for the first episode of Musically Speaking on 91.9 KBCR. You'll find this program on the fourth Saturday of each month at 7 p.m. and 3 p.m. the following Monday. This episode will be posted on the program page on our website at kvcrnews.org forward slash musically speaking. Thanks for listening. I'm Margaret Worsley.